critical reflection on my experience as a student in unexciting classrooms enabled me not only to imagine that the classroom could be exciting, but that this excitement could coexist and even stimulate serious intellectual and or academic engagement. Bell Hooks, The Introduction to Teaching to Transgress. Welcome to season four of Safe Topics. In this series, we're talking about books. And other things. Yes, other things, but we're going to go deep on some books. Not like a full book review, but like a chapter by chapter review, which I guess adds up to a full book eventually. <laughs> yes. And we're going to talk about anything else that makes us think about how we teach and why we teach. And we want you, the audience, to join us. Listen for details about how to do that at the end of this episode. All right, here we go. Bell Hooks, tremendous educator, um, tremendous person, and here talking about that those those experiences in the classroom and how she desires to see things differently than those uninspiring experiences that she had yeah. at times in her life. Right, and like you said, this is this is a foundational text uh, in my training as a teacher. Um, it's one that we constantly loop back to. And it's one that when I read it, uh, I was just texting you this when yeah. you were very excited to talk about this. Oh, yeah. I was fired up. Yeah. Like in a committee meeting, like almost throwing the book at me. Like you got up in a meeting and got the book to give it to me. That's oh, that's right. You were that yeah, excited. I, yes. But then when I started reading it yeah. to, in preparation for this, right. I was like uh, texting you like I need to record now. <laughs> and then I was texting you line by line the book and like, this is gold. This is what we're talking about. This is what we're complaining about. These are our gripes. She's, te- she's showing us the way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And my, one of my texts back to you was like, especially this moment in the semester, we're pretty deep in. Right. My text to you little was like. Little past midway. Little past midway. Uh, like. She's rem- like, it's like she sat me down reading her introduction and she's like, this is what you forgot about. And I, and I, and hearing it just makes me kind of relax and go, oh yeah, those are my roots. Like this is my core. And then there's other parts reading it now at this stage in my teaching. I'm like, holy shit. Like, sh- th- like she's saying, let this guide you. Right. Like she's, she's giving me new lenses to see, um, this particular moment. And I don't just mean this moment, this semester, I mean like post pandemic, students coming in having gone through what they've gone through like the structures that we've been trying to dismantle that are clearly still in place all that shit and you know i don't think it's like the new lenses right, right. It, 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 it's that you've been wearing your glasses too long yeah you haven't gone to the eye doctor got that prescription updated they're scratched up they're they're worn i got tape on my glasses right now right and you know, you go to the eye doctor, you get the fresh prescription, you pick out some new, and then when you look through it, you're like, oh yeah, this is what it's supposed to look like. Right. And that is the excitement part that she talks about right there, right? Right. Um, back to the book. Yes. But excitement about ideas was not sufficient to create an exciting learning process. As a classroom community, our capacity to generate excitement is deeply affected by our interest in one another, in hearing one another's voices, in recognizing one another's presence. Since the vast majority of students learn through conservative, traditional educational practices and concern themselves only with the presence of the professor, any radical pedagogy 
must insist that everyone's presence is acknowledged. The insistence cannot be simply stated. It has to be demonstrated through pedagogical practices. Mm -hmm. To begin, mm -hmm. the professor must genuinely value everyone's presence. Mm -hmm. There must be an ongoing recognition that everyone influences the classroom dynamic, mm -hmm. that everyone contributes. Mm -hmm. These contributions are resources. Mm -hmm. Used constructively, they enhance the capacity of any class to create an open learning community. Mm -hmm. Often before this process can begin, there has to be some deconstruction of the traditional notion that only the professor is responsible for classroom dynamics. Mm -hmm. That responsibility is relative to status. Mm -hmm. Indeed, the professor will always be more responsible because of the larger institutional structures and how they will always ensure mm -hmm. that accountability for what happens in the classroom rests with the teacher. It is rare that any professor, no matter how eloquent a lecturer, can generate through his or her actions enough excitement to create an exciting classroom. Mm -hmm. Excitement is generated through the collective effort. Mm -hmm. I wrote in the margins of my book, being an art. Being an art. Right. So there, the first part of what you just read is about presence. It's about the instructor's presence, but it's about acknowledging the student's presence. It's about voices. There's no outcomes described in that part of the paragraph. It's just about being. It's, it's our ontology. It's a, who we are as a unique group of people in a class I may have taught forever or that you may have taken before in last semester or whatever, or a version of it or whatever in a sequence. But us in this space together, we are, right? We are being. That's who we're going, like, like that's our, so that's what she's getting at in the first place. We need to recognize that, right? So being, but then there's a, a shift and it's this, this artfulness, this artful of how do you use this ontology, this us together as resources? How do you position us all in ways so that we are part of a collective contributing? How do I deconstruct my authority in a way that I still have it because I can't get rid of it, but I want to give some of it, right? I want to have, you can have agency in this class. You can pull me just like I pull you, right? And you get to that last part where that's where the excitement is generated from. Mm. You know, what I like about that is this excitement is a two-way street. And sometimes we think of how to make this an exciting class for the students. Yeah. I love the positioning here that Bell Hooks uses to say, this needs to be exciting for me. Yeah. And this needs to be exciting for me, for them, by us, not by me alone. Right. And I think about with the art piece, of, as soon as you said that, I just imagined, you know, you have an 8 by 10 canvas. Yeah. Uh -huh. And you have yellow, magenta, and cyan, the three primary colors you can make anything, right? That's your classroom. That's what you're teaching. Yeah. But how that ends up. Mm -hmm. on that canvas is going to be different every time. Right. Even if you're trying to paint the same thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I think about that because what is exciting to me and, and, and some things that are lost sometimes that we do need that new pair of glasses or that we do need that reminder, names are important. 
Yeah. Knowing their name. But that's the beginning. Right. And then how do you make this class not just for them, for you unique? Because, yeah, you're teaching the same subject. They are taking it maybe for the first time. So it's their first time either way. Yep. So there might just be excitement just in that. Right. But how are you making it excitement for yourself so it's authentic that both parties are engaging in an open, exciting learning community like she's talking about? Right. Because just, I love, by the way, your analogy of the, or the metaphor of the old glasses. That's really working for me. But so along that lines of like, just becoming static, like I've taught classes before where this is a class activity I've done many, many times and I kind of know how they're going to react to this thing. And I already have the joke that I say that this, right? Yeah. And there's old faithful, the old faithful joke. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that until I think it starts to feel rote. It starts to feel like there's not, there's not, like I've said the joke, but the timing's not right because I'm not really feeling it. Right. I just know it's coming and so I throw it out and a couple people check. You know what I mean? Or the timing is too right. It's too right. That's you right. know? It's practice. Right. And, and, and now you're putting on a show that is a repeat performance right. as opposed to like, I have another opportunity here. Yeah. And and maybe that joke works and it's good and I want to keep it there, but what am I putting around it? Right. You know? And maybe that's what you want to change. Well, and the reason I think of that particular example, one, because it's concrete and practical. Like, I feel like that's a part of teaching that we all... Of course. Right? But what she's getting at at that first part is this commitment to this insistence. So that insistence cannot be simply stated it has to be demonstrated through pedagogical practice. To begin, the professor must genuinely value everyone's presence. Like, so jokes, when you say jokes to people you genuinely value and you're excited that you're, in, you're present in the same space together is different than when you're just like going through a routine. You know what I mean? You know what this just made me think of and something that I, I, I lost over time um, you know, I still get to the name thing and, 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 and I want to make this unique for them. But what you're reminding me of is um, at the end of every class and at the beginning, in my first couple years of teaching, I used to say, thank you so much for being here with me today. I appreciate that you're here. Yeah. It's become kind of like we're here. Right. Instead of like. And and then I got to check myself. Do I really appreciate it? Would I just be saying that in yeah. a rote way? Right. Right? Yeah. Is it authentic? Right. If I think about it, it's it's amazing that we're all here today. Right. Right? And I love it. Yeah. But I don't remind myself of that because I'm thinking of the thing that I had planned to do that I've done before or the new thing. Yeah. Or... You're thinking of the things outside that class and you didn't have time to. Oh, yeah. Because, and, and the reason you're relying on this structure is it's freeing up time for you to do the other thing. Right. Right. And so what's about to happen in this class is not, thank you for being here. I'm so stoked to see what we're about to do with what I've planned. It's, here's the plan. Let's get to it because I'm, yeah, other things or, and yeah. But you know what's a good way to, to, to work with that? Yeah. Tell them. Right. Right. Deeply personal stuff, whatever. But but let's say like uh, somebody cut you off and or like, you know, something funny happened when you dropped your kid off at school on your way over here. It's like, 
You could tell them. Yeah. And, and it humanizes you and the course and everything, right? Yeah. Maybe you could relate it to what you're learning about. Maybe not. Maybe this is just the time to connect as humans. Right. You know? Or it's like a, have you ever hap- had this happen similar to what just happened to me, right? right? Right. And again, if it's like some serious problem, of course, you know, what everybody's comfort level and what's appropriate to share, whatever. But also kind of like what you're going into as well, right? right. We, we, we end class typically saying... Here's what we did and here's where we're going. Right. But where are you actually going right now, you know? Right. And 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 if they have an opportunity to kind of share that, it shows that genuine interest. Right. Of like where are you I know this is the next thing we're going to talk about. Where are you actually going after this? Right. Is it to another class? Is it to work? Are you going back home? Yeah. What what's going on? Right. And I'm mindful I'm mindful that you and I are talking about teaching in general. We're also, t- we're clearly responding to bell hooks and, and um, we're also thinking about our own teaching. We all teach in different ways and we all kind of, we are present in different ways. And I think some of us are more ex- sort of, you know, open to sharing personalities sure. and details. Mm-hmm. Some of us are more, it, where do we, where do we locate our identity and how do we express it? And that is such a range. And I don't, I don't think I, I'd be interested in what you think. I don't think there's like a best practice for what bell hooks is calling out here in terms of genuine presence being in your with your students sometimes i feel like you know if it's in your personality to share and to open up the floor that way and with some humor yeah go for it that's great because again diversity of instruction there's going to be another instructor that i hope they're authentic in their way that like Maybe they don't joke around like that. And yeah. maybe they don't want to share certain things. But the way they facilitate the classroom is still getting that collaborative um, that, that collaborative work to an exciting open learning environment, right? And that can happen through a lot of like structure and scaffolding and like look at where we arrived after we did all these things and now we're here, yeah. right? It could be like, we have a good rapport and like we have a back and forth and we're joking with each other. And so we're more open to when we got to talk about hard stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. within the discipline. Sure. Um, and I think this works with any discipline, right? It's like, you could be joking around and it's like all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're getting into these, these calculus equations that are really tough. Yeah. We're getting into, you know, um, this period in history where it was a dark time for a lot of people. Yeah. We're getting into this part of, you know, a yoga class where some of you are going to be stretched right to your limit, you know? Yeah. But that rapport, however it's developed, I think the the point Bell Hooks is making, what I feel like she's, the point she's making here that that just really resonates with me is, is like, just remember you're doing that together and acknowledging everyone. Right. Because there's ways to do that. Right. But there's also ways to make it feel like you only acknowledge some. Yeah. And there are definitely ways to make it like you're not acknowledging anyone at all. Right. Right. And that's what's so provocative about what she's calling out there. And, okay, I'm going to take us to a place, if that's okay. Let's do it. So the page, so in her introduction, on in my copy, it's page eight. On page nine... She's talking about a, a specific class that she had. So actually, this is the bottom of page eight. One semester, I had a very difficult class, one that completely failed on the communal level. And I'll skip a little bit over to page nine. Every now and then, we had an exciting session, but mostly it was a dull class. I came to hate 
this class so much that I had a tremendous fear that I would not awaken to attend it. The night before, despite alarm clocks, wake-up calls, and experiential knowledge that I had never forgotten to attend class, I still could not sleep. Rather than making me arrive sleepy, I tended to arrive wired, full of an energy few students mirrored. Okay. Mm. And so, and she's talking about like the, <laughs> when she reflects on the problem, she says, for reasons I cannot explain, it was also full of resisting students who did not want to learn new pedagogical processes, who did not want to be in a classroom that differed in any way from the norm. To these students, transgressing boundaries was frightening. And though they were not the majority, their spirit of rigid resistance seemed always to be more powerful than any will to intellectual openness and pleasure in learning. More than any other class I had taught, this one compelled me to abandon the sense that the professor could, by sheer strength of will and desire, make the classroom an exciting mm. learning community. I like where Bell Hooks ended up. Yeah. There. Yeah. The way there, I would tell her, no, Bell Hooks. No, 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 no. There's a lot of assumptions in there that they're not open to these practices. They're not, you know, these things are, you know, uh, what was the word? Scary, basically, right? Like she would, they were frightened of this or whatever. Maybe she surveyed that class and that's what she got. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But if she's just making those assumptions, I would say wrong. Mm. That, that, that's not, that's not the right, to me, that's not the healthy and and collaborative way to think about it. But then where she ended up was realizing that I can't do this alone. Right. But I would say that she just along the way didn't find a strategy that worked with that particular group dynamic. Yeah. Um, how dare you question bell hooks? <laughs> I, 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 I have to rest in power bell hooks. I, I have to. We're reading these books not just to, what do you tell your students when you tell them to read a book? To just nod right along? <laughs> or when they give a challenge, are you like, well, hell yeah, let's go. Right. No, I'm t- yeah. Yes. So where I, what I get from that end piece is an affirmation of student agency that yes. lines up perfectly with what she says over here. The excitement is generated through collective effort. That's right. Right. And so, so I, I, I feel a lot of affirmation in that passage, you know, where, where you, and I, I, I think it's warranted and you make, your critique makes me think on when I assume these things about my students, right? And that is an easy place to go, especially when we're working our asses off to like, okay, this class will be the one. This class will be the one when they finally buy in and we're all going to be on the train together. And it just never lands, right? Yeah. I've, I've had those classes before. So I feel her. This, this is affirming to me. Um, but that last sentence is the challenge. It's because here, here's a practical way that I've heard this before and I've thought about this before. And I'm sure you've heard this too, especially in online teaching. It's like the first five minutes matter. The first, you know, day matters. The yeah. first week matters. Sure. It's like that's where everything is set. And if you fuck those things up the yeah. rest of the semester. And there's some truth to that, I think. There, there's research behind that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But if we go back to where we started, how we are together, who we are as a unique community that that matters too and if 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 this really is about a collective effort and we are all resources we are opening ourselves up to every single student their agency their presence and i mean now it's it is a negotiation it is not a i'm the captain follow me it is 
right? We follow each other. We push and pull together. Yeah, and and look, while there is some truth to that in correlation between student engagement or success or retention and those five minutes, first day, first week, we got to remember that, like, there's repairs, right? Like, I can meet somebody, hey, kind of don't like this person, right? Yeah. Two years later, we're good friends, yeah. right? Because we had some time together, and we don't have two years, but, you know, we have weeks, and yeah. and we have, you know, a, a good chunk of time to make the repairs that that can get that to a better place. Yeah. On the other hand, we also have situations where, hey, first week, planned out, boom. I, I know you've probably been there. I've been there where it's like, this first part of the class, I got this dialed in. Right, 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 right. But you know what? Then I'm going week to week on this thing, right, you know? exactly. <laughs> and maybe I have to pivot and I have to go week to week, right? Because right. something changed. But yeah. but sometimes it's like trying some new stuff and I didn't write enough enough new stuff. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, it can go from like, wow, this was an exciting class. And then I messed it up, you know, like I fucked it up toward the middle. And then at the end, it was like bare bones or like, well, yeah, I didn't really get much here, you know. And and so I I think that hasn't happened to me often, but I'm not afraid to admit that 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 kind of feeling and and I didn't survey them on that, but I felt that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So first impressions, of course, important. Last impressions are lasting, but I think it's what we show up with every day. And doing that in a very human way, because I, I think it goes a long way, no matter what the setting, if someone starts off any session of any time together saying, going through some rough stuff right now, yes. just want to let you know, we're going to go through this. I'm going to, hopefully I get that excitement, yep. but I just need you to know yep. I'm not in a place where I would want to be to do what we got to do right now. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Um, and that, so... It's just proven itself out every single time, over and over and over. Anytime I make an assumption, mm-hmm. like I think I know what's going on, without really asking or surveying, I'm always fucking wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> are you always? I mean, there's that art of teaching, and there's yeah. that like feeling my way through, and in the moment I pivot, and or I, I suspect something. And that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about. When the a student comes in and sits in the same seat mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. doesn't talk, and when I go over there, is very sort of like not engaged. Right. I'm assuming. Right. You know, and my assumption about that student is, oh, they're checked out, or maybe they're going through something, or they're that student's probably not going to make it. But so I have that assumption when yeah. I do check in for reals and I get that feedback or I read their essay. Surprise! I'm like, holy! Sh- this student yeah. is so dialed in. Mm-hmm. And I'm just perceiving, you know what I mean? That's kind of the, that's what I'm talking about. But there's another part to that, you know, with the emphasis of like our teaching going beyond the discipline itself. Yeah. When this excitement, this excitement, this collaborative excitement is important because when you see that, when you read that student's essay, I think it's our responsibility to then say, I need you to contribute in other ways because this is too good. Right. And, and and I don't think it's bad practice to, like, nudge them in that direction. Some no. people might be like, well, that's the way they want to do it. But in the the world that we're preparing them for, preparing them for, and, and that's part of the world that we're actually in now, but the, the other situations that come up, I would love that student to speak up in a work meeting when they have a great idea. 
and not just do, you know, if I write the idea and my boss happens to see it, gonna love it. Right. But if you were able to build those, you know, skills right there and just say, you know what, I, I have ideas and I'm going to say it here because it adds value. Yep. And I think that's part of what is, you know, cultivating, creating that kind of open learning, open learning community. Yeah. Where people, you know, empowered is such an overused word, but it, it, yeah. it's that feeling of yeah. like, I have something. Well, and so this is so she. This is where she calls. So, like, yeah. Uh, uh, so, in genuinely valuing everyone's presence, she mm-hmm. says there must be an ongoing recognition that everyone influences the classroom dynamic, that everyone contributes, and these contributions are resources. And yeah. so, and that sometimes I feel like that comes into contradiction with my sense of a particular student, who for whom speaking out or contributing in class is traumatic or or how she is thinking about this comes from a place of trauma right past experience so i'm wanting to respect and give space to a student who doesn't feel comfortable contributing but at the very same time i feel exactly as you do and i'm challenged by what bell hooks calls us to do there which is find ways to call that student's engagement into some kind of contribution shape right so maybe that's Maybe that's a discussion board. Maybe that's uh, individual work that just happens to be in shared spaces. Like, what are the different modalities we can think of to enable that, to empower a student to contribute, right? I mean, it, this, is, this is really about getting in the game, you know? And how do we get the student in the game? Yeah. And, you know, there's so much value in, in, in doing that. And, you know, I can hear critique right now of people being like, well, you know, getting them into the what we're doing is there, there. There's a very you know what we want to do is cultivate a love of learning, of like learning how to learn. Yeah, you know, it's meta, right? Like right. this is what we want, but but there's also we want them to have a good life, and a good life comes from having a good job and being good at that job and being respected at that job. Yeah, so we know that's a part of it too. And, you know, I, I, I kind of hear the critique of like, well, getting them in the game and getting them to play a game. And why is there a game? And why is it got to be that way? Because it is. It is. And the person that, that would make that critique, they're in the game. If they can even say that critique freely in a room of their peers, of other academic, uh, you know, of other in, uh, public intellectuals or professors or whatever it may be. You're in the game. Right. We just want that same thing for them. Right. To be able to do that. Right. And so, you know, I, 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 I think that that right there is, is so powerful and why this intro is so powerful. But there's so much more to this intro than just that. I know. And let's just touch on a couple of things do here. Do it. Yeah. Because so, you know, in the very beginning. Yes. Bell Hooks talks about being granted tenure and not feeling joy or satisfaction, but rather feeling dread. Right. And quote here, I was afraid that I would be trapped in the academy forever. Yeah. And then when she talked to her sister, she was reminded that she never wanted to become a teacher. She always wanted to become a writer. And and another quote here. From childhood, I believed that I would teach and write. Writing would be the serious work, 
teaching would be the not so serious I need to make a living job. Writing, I believe then, was all about private longing and personal glory. But teaching was about service and giving back to one's community. My brother Curry, I need (laughs) you to tell me. What'd you get in this for? Well, do, do, do you feel any of this of like wanting to write, wanting to read, but teaching was the way that that's a vehicle to be able to do that? Yeah. Uh, so what she also explains about that position or like how she sees her future is very much framed by the racism that she grows up Right. Absolutely. Within. And it's, it's, she talks about how women were, you know, you were either going to be married or not. And if you were going to be married, you wouldn't have a powerful position, right. an intellectual position like writing. Right. And so when I think about this, I'm thinking of this from the position of a white male. Yeah. Right. Um, and I did, I mean, I had a crossroads where I was thinking, should I be a writer? Should I be a teacher? And then all the, things that come along with that being a young father and all that stuff. So I, I did, but I'm doing it from a, you know, a place of privilege, you know, so I'm very, you asked me that question and this is, this is how I'm responding. <laughs> I know you didn't answer my question. So did you want to, <laughs> did you want to write and did you end up teaching? No. Whether or not you're privileged to get the position or not. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you have that level of self-awareness. That's not, as common as it probably should be. But that's kind of my plain question is like, yes, was it teaching like, Hey, that gets me to the reading and writing that I love. Or was it like, no, the teaching is the part I want to do. And I want to teach about the reading and the writing. Right. And I want to answer that question, but I also just want to like, because this, this is what bell hooks is calling out in this critical pedagogy is that education is a practice of freedom. That, that yes. this kind of teaching and learning is a political act. Absolutely. And, and specifically and explicitly, you know, an act against anti-black racism, right? And so, yes. and I want to really get into that because there, and, and I'll, I'll delay that for a little bit, but um, because there's a quote that, that, uh, that has been, that I've underlined that I want to get back to, but I will answer your question. Okay. All right. <laughs> I was hoping. Um, Man, I love teaching. I love yeah. teaching. And it's, it's even as like a high school student, I, would, I never thought I'd go to college. I was, my parents are all blue collar workers and I was working construction and that was going to be my gig. Um, but I never stopped imagining like, like I'd be listening to, you know, uh, the radio or I'd be reading a book and I'd be like, all right, if I was going to like share this with other people. Like maybe not even in a classroom, but just a small group. Here's how I'd structure it. Like here's how I'd start. Here's I without any training. Without, it was just in my heart. It was just in my head. Like I want to teach. I'm a fucking teacher. Like yeah, you know, I've always that's just a drive. It's in me, natural. Um, that's awesome. And I want to write. I love writing. I write all the time. You do. But teaching, I it's in my bones, dude. <laughs> all right, <laughs> coming at it from a different angle than Bell Hooks. Right. Definitely come. Uh, yeah, but I get it. But I feel like we get to a similar, well, in around the joy of teaching this, this, this realization that presence and the art of teaching and the agency of students, she uses the language of self-actualization. 
Yes, she does. I think we get to that same place and that's the exciting work. That's the transformation work that we do, right? Or the, the, the potential for it. The capacity for transformation is at yeah. our fingertips. It's the craft that's, that that's we... That's the transgression. That's, right. the, that's the transgression. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and I love the practice of freedom. I mean, that's just so powerful. And it, I mean, that's when I feel the most free. Yeah. <clears throat> and I want to get into the other issues that you were talking about. Because yeah. they're very important for, for her upbringing. But I do want to say, um, you know... Something that 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 she, that that she, um, one quote here, just very quick one is teaching is a performative act. Yeah, and and you know like sometimes that can be um, poo pooed, if you will, right? Right. But look, growing up, I wanted to be an actor, and I wanted to be an actor because like I saw their ability to be something without being that thing and and for me like to be in a position where i'm a tenured professor where you know i have these responsibilities i'm in this role like it's astounding to me you know um based on like the poverty and the gang violence and all the things that i grew up with it's like if i ever stop to think about it i'm like i'm still performing yeah. Like this is all an act, you yeah, know? Right. It's an authentic one though. It's the role it's the role of my life. It's the role that I wanted to play. It's the role that I'll continue to play. Right. But it still feels that way, you know? And yeah. and and when I get to be in the classroom, that's when I really get to put on a performance. Right. And and, and I do everywhere else, but that's where I really get to turn it on to like level 20, you know? Yeah. And I love it. Okay, so there's a quote that that fits this. So uh, this is on page 11 in my copy. Teachers are not performers in the traditional sense of the word and that our work is that in that our work is not meant to be a spectacle. No. Yet it is meant to serve as a catalyst that calls everyone to become more and more engaged. Ring the bell hook me in. <laughs> bell hooks. Exactly. I'm not here to entertain. Yeah. That's not what I mean when I'm saying I'm performing. I'm saying you're getting the best of me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it, it's not meant to be a spectacle. It's not about that part of it. Right. That part of it sets up the good shit. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Right. I come in on fire so that they're like, this is a place that's on fire. Yeah. Act accordingly. Right. And it's, but what I love about this is it again comes back to that ontological position. It's about becoming. Yes. Beco and it's about becoming engaged to become part of what you are trying to light up. Right? Right. That, that's the point of the performance. That's the point of the energy. That's the point of the activity or the scaffolding or all the other shit that we go to workshops to figure out how to do better. It's so that it's a catalyst for it's all for all of us to become more and more engaged in our own learning. You know, I got to talk about the late great Robin Williams for a second. Okay, I was watching this documentary about his life after he passed away, and you know, Robin Williams was just frenetic. You know, like that energy was just like you. Were, 
I was in awe watching his comedy specials. I was in awe, like, imagining him in the booth as the genie in Aladdin just, like, getting after it. You know, like, it was amazing. And so I see him on Oprah, right, in this documentary. And then, like, he is on fire doing the Robin Williams things, the voices, like, spilling water on himself, running around, right? And then they go to commercial break. Yeah. And you see him sitting in his chair, um, looking down, yeah. with just a total poker face, looking down, you know? Yeah. And I was like, he turns it on for us. Right. Huh. But he turns it off. And that off, that one feels like the default, hmm. not the on. Right. And I bring that up because that's what it makes me think about, is that... When you do that engagement for the sake of the audience only, right. you are missing the mark in terms of your journey towards self-actualization. That's right. And when you reach that mark, we're going to talk a lot more about self-actualization. In the This is just the intro, folks. I know, I know. <laughs> when we talk about self-actualization, if when you get to that point, or at least you're on the path and you're somewhere further down the path than not... You know, I don't think you're turning it on for the audience. I think you're doing that because it's not the reaction you expect or know you can get, like you talked about with those jokes. Yeah. It's the process that we can engage in together. Yeah. That becomes the goal rather than, you know, they're really hyped up for this class. Yeah. They're really hyped up to be a part That's of right. what we're doing. That's right. And and so here's where I am in my teaching career when I experience this. It's fun to be in it's it's so fun to be in a class where like I show up and my natural humor is drawn out because they're drawing it out and my natural interests are drawn out it's because just hitting on all cylinders. And there's are yeah. two That's the fucking best. Yeah. But there are classes where that's not what this group is. And that group does not need from me the jokes. They don't need from me the, they need something different. That's right. And it's not that I change who I am to fit them. It's I'm being drawn out in different ways. And I'm drawn, and so I need to draw them out in different ways so that we can be, we can get to a space where we all become engaged in the learning together. And maybe in this group, that means we're engaged quietly. Right. Where in this group, it's loud and dynamic and whatever, right? That's not good or bad. And I might personally say that one is super fun and this one's a lot of hard work. But this is still teaching, right? This is still learning. What you're doing, Curry, is you're respecting That's it. the group. That's it. And what you're doing is you're saying, I like what you said. I don't have to change who I am to fit this group. We all have to figure out together who we are together. That's right. Yep. Right? Yeah. It, it, it's not about them changing. I've had that mistake. Right. I wanted them to change so bad. Right. And I was like, what about me? I, the only one that I could change is me. That's okay, right. so let's do that. That's right. But but then I, I, I realized, much like Bell Hooks and much like you're saying here, is like, no, it's it's understanding that we all need to change together. And the only way that happens is if you say, I acknowledge everyone in this room right. as contributors to what this room is. Right. And just at, so at concrete 
way. So, I mean, I don't know what I'm trying to say. That looks, okay. What that looks like in my classroom. Yeah. The move is the survey. And the, and the move is this. I feel like in this particular moment, I want to hear what voices are you hearing in this classroom? And are there voices missing? Yeah. Right. And what have we done so far that's worked and you wish we do it all the time? And what do we do in here that never worked and you just hope those kinds of questions. And I present it as because I want to know. And then they take the survey and they, we come back the next week and I tell them all the results. Here's where we're at as a class. Here's, here's where folks are hearing voices and these are the voices that are missing. And this is what we've done and there's excitement and, and, and it shows them like I'm listening to you. Absolutely. Right? And, and, you know, let's listen to each other. And it, I don't turn it into where do we go from here necessarily. It doesn't really need to go there. It's just that we're, we're now becoming something deeper because we've done that, because we've listened to each other, right? Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> when you say that, what, what it really reminds me of, too, is um, inside jokes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And building those inside jokes with specific classes, yeah. you know? Right. And you come back to them from time to time. Everybody loves it. Yes. Uh, or most people. I don't know about everyone. I didn't survey them, but it, it seems fun. I'm, I'm digging it. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, okay, let's say, for example, you were saying, what voices are we hearing? Yes. What voices aren't we hearing? Right. right? Yeah. And that could be kind of a call-out feel, yeah. right? Yeah. But then when, 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 this is what's great, when you give the option to pass... It's a beautiful thing. See, you could just say pass. I had this the other day in class. No, I'm okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, I'm okay. Yeah. More people share, share, share. No, I'm okay. Yeah. No, no, no. And then they were like, I got something. Sure. Beautiful, right? Yes. What's even more beautiful, some people out there might be saying, what if they pass every time? Right. Oh, it's great. Because on the last day of class, you're like, come on, give us something, you know? Yeah. And then if they say something, that's a moment everybody remembers. No doubt. They're yeah. like... They did it. Yeah. They said something in class. Right. And, and you know, we had the small group stuff. I've been reading their work. We all knew they had it in them. They right. made it to the end, yes. you know. Yeah. But, but it, you know, I, I, those moments I cherish in class. I remember one time, <laughs> it was this is the building the community thing, right? Yeah. This is what we're talking about. It's like I, I was in class and I was uh, asking students the first couple days of class to give presentations on the syllabus. This is the way that I did that part of the class. And there's a group up there and, you know, they're starting to present and I drink my water and I coughed and I spit the water everywhere. I sprayed them. It was Shamu back when there was a Shamu show before we were like, that's not really cool to do that to those orcas. They were in the splash zone. No parka. So when they're there and they're like, you know, kind of like what the fuck he just spit on me they took it like riders they were so cool they were like are you okay yeah are am i okay i coughed a couple times my saliva spit and water are all over you students i met this week right right <laughs> so internally i am not okay but you saying that makes me more okay right totally and then i could go like you know later on there was something like oh i really like what you said there professor davis because isn't that and i'm like i can't believe you like anything i said because i spit on you before <laughs> and everybody laughs you yeah. know is it just I cherish those moments. I, I hope I really reflect on those later and, 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 and remember a lot of them. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
Remembering spitting on my students. That's, great. <laughs> that's awesome. That's not in this book. Is, there's not a, what do you do when you spit on your students? I don't think that's part of the self-actualization process. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> you and I are just having an authentic teacherly conversation in response to this book. Yeah. And so, and you know, and that's what you're getting folks, by the and way. And that's what yeah. this is. Mm-hmm. But here's why it's so important to me that we talk about, um, um, race, racism, bell hooks argument that teaching in this way is a way to confront anti-black racism and, and the re- gender as well is very backed up with feminist it, pedagogy exactly yeah. exactly and it's this it's i listen to a lot of stuff across the political spectrum and i, I listen to a lot of conservative talk uh, uh read a lot of conservative uh op-eds uh same with with progressive and when i hear folks on the right talking about critical race theory um there's this phrase, and, and these are folks that are trying to be somewhat open-minded. I'm not just trying to paint the right as this sort of simple whatever. But there's this phrase that comes up, and it's, you can eat the meat and spit out the bones. Like, you can, you can read bell hooks, and you can take the good stuff, like where we started. Just the, like, being with you know, the presence of us together, and then the art of teaching. Like, we could take that good stuff, and we could apply it to any teacher... You're saying that's the meat to them. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Because like, yeah, this follow, is all meat. Follow me. Follow I'm me. I'm boneless. But this is the this is what like that what that means when it's expressed. It's, yeah, yeah, But yeah. spit out the bones. They're hard. Number one. That's oh, how I read okay. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're also not digestible. Like they will hurt you if you consume them. And mm-hmm. and I just want to address that, and I want that to be part of this conversation because because I am a white man reading bell hooks and there is a passage that i want to read and i want to talk about it with you hold on let me find it so here so this is where this is just following where she is talking about resisting students okay and i think it's it's it that is something to think about too from this lens um but she pivots to talk about teachers as well right so she i'm going to pick this up um So bottom of page nine, in reference to this class of resisting students. Before this class, I considered that teaching to transgress education as the practice of freedom would be a book of essays mostly directed to teachers. After the class ended, I began writing with the understanding that I was speaking to and with both students and professors. The scholarly field of writing on critical pedagogy and or feminist pedagogy continues to be primarily a discourse engaged by white women and men. Freire, too, in conversation with me, as in much of his written work, has also acknowledged that he occupies the location of white maleness, particularly in this country. But the work of various thinkers on radical pedagogy, I use this term to include critical and or feminist perspectives, has in recent years truly included a recognition of differences, those determined by class, race, sexual practice, nationality, and so on. Yet, this movement forward does not seem to coincide with any significant increase in black or other non-white voices joining discussions about radical pedagogical practices. So, I, 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 that passage is in my mind the whole time we're talking and as, as we're reading through Bell Hooks, because I think it is important to identify that, one, you and I are both men mm-hmm. having this conversation with each other. Um, I am a white man, mm-hmm. right? And there, 
this is why I hope that others can join us in this conversation, right? Either in the sort of social media spaces you and I are fumbling around trying to figure out how to do, mm-hmm. or maybe coming and joining us here. But like I said before, like I want us to go about this in a truly radical way, right? Like embracing every tenant of this book and critiquing where we feel there's room to critique in our own pedagogical experience and mm-hmm. practice. Um, but really, really like explicitly acknowledging that this is anti-racist work, right? It's not just cool ideas about teaching. Those are always the same for me. Yeah? Yeah. I, I You know, look, there's... I think when we think about privilege in these ways, it is important to consider all sorts of different positions that folks are in. I think it is hard for someone to practice radical pedagogy if they're a part-time instructor. Hmm. I think it's hard for them to engage in a radical way of teaching and learning when they're on the tenure track. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard for minoritized populations and minoritized instructors even if they're tenured to completely deviate away from what bell hooks calls conservative traditional teaching right now i know people people of color women of color that feel like they can and do yeah and i know folks that are more apprehensive or downright frightened by the idea of going as far as maybe they want to go with some of the things that they want to do in their classroom. Sure. With that being said, I do feel privileged, but I feel like I was naive and a little dumb and I just kept on rolling with it. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I, I have a lot of privilege. I'm six foot one. Yeah. I'm not a small person, you know? Yeah. Um, My voice sounds like this. I make eye contact with people. Yeah. I don't look very nice from far away. (laughs) I I, I look like either the sun's in my eyes or I'm upset. And a big, huge privilege, I think I've talked about on the podcast before, when I speak, my expectation is people are listening. Yeah. That is a lot. Yeah. And that grants me a lot. And honestly, like, I've never been afraid of confrontation, too. Yeah. So I think the, 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 the race, class, gender, I'm a sociologist. Right. Of course these matter. Right. Of course they play a part. Right. In, in giving you an advantageous or disadvantageous situation. My thing is, there is, there are very specific um, parts of my personality that also play into my teaching and the way I go about my job. And those play a part too. And then my experiences. And also the way that I approach the job is like, like, this might be the only good job I get. Right. And that comes from that background and and poverty and talk about class. So uh, 
I, I, I always, I like, I, I have always appreciate an analysis of those issues in the work that we do. We need that and we need to pay more attention to that and give support in appropriate ways where it's obvious that we need it and in ways it's not so obvious. But there's more to it than that. There's the person. That's right. One of the smallest people I know is the biggest person in the room. Right. You probably know who I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's inclusive of all of these different factors. But don't stop the conversation there when you're talking about any one individual. Yeah. And then you have my ear. Yeah. No, I hear you. I think, just to respond to what you're talking about, I don't have a lot of... I don't come from a place of an abundance of confidence. (laughs) Yeah. I am privileged. I'm also very tall. I have a very big beard. Um, I don't assume that everybody's listening to me. I come from a place of, I got to do some work. I got to make this quick. I got to... You know what I mean? And so this is my, you know, complex way of being in a classroom. And I am also so excited just, you know, since a, since a kid about like fucking punk rock, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, let's just yeah. burn it down and see what remains or let's disrupt <laughs> this just to have fun. Why not? Yeah. That, that, so I'm inclined to that. But here's, here's what I think is important. So one thing I know now, and I didn't know this when I first started teaching, was that simply creating space is not enough to make students agents that contribute to a class as a collective. Creating space creates space for something to fill it. And if we're not intentional, if I'm not intentional about about the way I create space, I can reinforce structures. I can allow the thing that I'm trying to dismantle to just reemerge because maybe that's the loudest voice and that's the framework that this person is bringing into the space. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. But I also hear you talking about being careful about essentialism, about essentializing someone to this particular identity that either you're expressing or representing or that I'm perceiving, right? Um, and and so to go back to where we started, to value everyone's presence, to truly value everyone's presence is to listen to a whole person, right? To a whole human being. Yeah. And I think in listening to a whole human being, because I want to make myself clear here. Yeah. <clears throat> when I, I, I am not, I am not some neoliberal bullshit artist. That's not what I'm talking about here is like, well, you just need to try hard, assert yourself, you know, be aggressive. And I have those traits works out pretty well. Yeah. That's not everybody. Right. If somebody tells me I can't do that. And I ask them, why can't you do that? Well, because I'm not white or because I'm not male or whatever, I believe them every time mm. because they're right. Right. And, and, and I'm not saying they're holding themselves back. Right. The thing in sociology, what, what I love the most about my discipline is because it helps us see the things that we cannot see with our eyes but we know they're there and we feel them. Sure. And they're so powerful. Right. Social invisible forces make us do 
everything we do right. all day long. Right. And that's what we're talking about here. Right. Those invisible forces tells this person, you're not white, so you can't do that there. And d- don't get me wrong, because there are very real things that also can stop that person. Past experiences, current experiences, somebody actually just being a dick. Yes, that all of those things. Yeah. But sometimes it is just that invisible force by itself, which I think makes it more powerful. And it makes it more powerful because if somebody's a dick, we all recognize it. We call it out for what it is. And and then there's a different relationship to that power or assumed power, perceived power, or f- f- pseudo power. Mm-hmm. But when you can't see it and you're like, what? I don't see what's going on here. Yeah. That right there is the wrecking. That right there should be the moment that we can pause and recognize our privilege. Yeah. Yeah. How about this quote? And then I want you to take us home on this one. Okay. Because this is the one I text you. Yeah. This bell hooks now. Yeah. There's a serious crisis in education. Students often do not want to learn and teachers do not want to teach. Yeah. Because it's hard. Those, both of those things are hard. And I think circumstances around the classroom make them harder than they need to be. Yeah. In lots of different ways. Either our plate fills out as teachers or and as students. And so we come in distracted. I think because how education has either tradition, so a, a conservative traditional, right, which Bell Hooks is trying to dismantle, yeah, actually makes the process easier because you're just filling in blanks or I'm just giving you the answers and you have to sort of write those down somehow and spit them out. You know what I mean? And so it's yeah. how we're learning, how we're teaching is not exciting in the sense that hooks is inviting us to that's right um and then i think beyond all that stuff the way that education is structured in this country Mm -hmm. top down outcomes driven Mm. you have to show that students are successful right it's it's not about being first with your students and then the art of teaching to get us to those spaces it's not about that from the top down that's not what title five tells us to do Right. It's not how funding is allocated. Right. It's show us, show us they can do that. Right. Show us they can do that. And this is how you get your money or this is how. But but not really. We don't really show them anything. We just tell them. (laughs) Right. And they got to trust us. That's kind of the way it works. Exactly. Um, But yeah. So, you know, students often do not want to learn and teachers do not want to teach. I feel this in this moment, you know, but the way that I feel it is, I don't believe that people don't want to learn students or anyone else. I think we all want to learn what we're learning though, you know, and how we're learning. Those are the things we're primarily concerned with here, right? Yeah. And then teachers do not want to teach. Oh, I feel that. You know what I got to say though? What? Teachers don't want to teach until they teach. Uh I haven't met one of right. my colleagues that would be, I don't want to be here. I don't want to come to campus. I want to stay home. I want to take a sabbatical. Then I get I get them right outside, right when they're leaving their classroom to oh, get yeah. out, to go to their office or go home or do whatever they're going to do. 
right when they're passing that threshold, I see them chopping it up with a student with a big smile on oh, their yeah. face. I'm like, I've never seen you so happy. Right, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So I think it's that students don't want, often don't want to learn until they feel like they are learning in an environment that they're open to learning. Right. And teachers don't want to teach until they get that feeling that they're really making a fucking difference. No, that's right. Yep. You know? Yeah. Well, and that scene you just painted of coming out the classroom, that's a teacher and student being together. Oh. <laughs> right? Tell me that line applies to them, that right. they don't want to learn and they don't want to teach. Right. That they, They're not thinking about anything no. else. No, exactly. There's no world around them. Right. It's this now. Yep. It's you and me and the thing, you know, your paper or the thing we just did or yep. your plans for when you leave this institution and go on to your next adventure. Right. And that's, and that's why the language is hard to actually put this, put this out there because teaching is in that moment. They're coming out. They're smiling. They're in the thick of it. it it's not that it was, it just happened, and now they're coming out as sort of cheerful friends. It's, that is it. That is teaching. And this is, we have verbs for this shit that serves the outcomes machine, right? It's, it's right, create or whatever, right? Memorize, whatever, the whole hierarchy. Yeah. So we have those verbs, I and that's, that's, that, that paints a picture of what teaching and learning looks, looks like sometimes, but <laughs> sometimes it just is, right? Teaching and learning just is. It, it, I, I, it's all of it. It is. It's all of it. It's the learning, and I want a damn a. Yeah. It's you know. Sure. So yeah. All right, we got through the introduction. Wow. <laughs> 12, all right, twelve pages. Next time, chapter one. Chapter one. Okay. If you heard anything in this episode that has you thinking about how you teach, why you teach. Or if anything made you feel joyful or even mad, like you just yelled at your dishes or whooped while you were walking your neighborhood. I've done those things. <laughs> then we really want to hear from you. You can find us on the Twitter at Safe Topics. Let us know how you're responding to today's book stuff. Like, what did we miss? Or what did we totally get right? Or what questions did we raise for you? And best of all, how are you thinking about your teaching and students? We'll update what we're reading so you can read along if you want. And your feedback will shape our discussions as we go. We may even read some comments in the episodes to come. And not just the nice ones. Safe Topics is a safe setting for dangerous topics. That's right. If you like this episode, please rate and subscribe. We've never really asked people to do that before. I know. I think it's cool, though. We're ready to be rated and subscribed it. Yeah, and big thanks to Kelly Burnett and the rest of the Safe Topics team for editing, producing, promoting, and all the other wonderful backstage stuff you do. <laughs> and thank you for listening.